Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Episode 44, the Prolific Writer Podcast. Let's do some greatest hits. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton. I am so glad that you are here. However, you find found us, find us, found us. However, you're listening to my voice in your ears on the train, in the car, on the bike, mowing the lawn. I'm so glad that you stopped by the dedi- the podcast dedicated to writing fast, writing often, and writing well. And today we have an interesting episode is I am doing a greatest hits episode where I want to share a interview that I did almost a year ago, the beginning, the genesis of the prolific writer podcast my friend Jake Bible. And I want to share this interview with you. We're calling it a greatest hits episode. We have some great interviews planned for November. And I thought it would be good just to pause. I know we have a lot of new guests. I shouldn't say guests. We have a lot of new people coming into the prolific writer world, a lot of new audience members. And I know if you're like me, you don't always start at the beginning of a podcast and listen all the way through. And we've had you know, 44 episodes. And so it's a lot, lot to do to catch up, but I, I wanted to share one of our first, actually our first interviews with Jake Bible. And Jake is a prolific writer. He writes a novel a month. And what I love about this interview is Jake really gets to the heart of what it takes to be a writer. And he sees writing as a job. He sees it as blue collar work. He sees it as I got to get up every day and get in my words and doesn't wait for the muse, doesn't wait for inspiration. And Jake is just a, a great guy. He offers tons and tons of insight into how to make it as a writer, what it looks like, and kind of takes away the myth of writing and says, it's just something you have to put put in the time and put in the work. And, and so I had a great time with Jake and I wanted to share this with you again. So if you're new to the show or maybe you're, you're 
a veteran listener. Uh, maybe you've been around for a while um, and maybe you forgot about this episode, but I, I hope this interview encourages you, helps you, gives you some tools for your writing toolbox to put into practice. And so uh, before I go, just real quick, uh, two things. One, leave a review if you haven't done so already. Love to have your feedback on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the show. Uh, reviews really help us out a lot. It helps us get more eyeballs on our show. So if you could do that, that'd be wonderful. Thanks, everybody, for your wonderful, nice, kind comments. And um, also, we also have a Patreon page. So if you go to patreon.com slash Ryan J. Pelton, you can support the show. You can give a buck or two to the show. It helps us for production costs and for me to produce this show and also write more books and all those kinds of things. And you can check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ryan J. Powell. And I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, love for your support. It's a way to support indie artists. And uh, it's a great uh, website where you can find other artists to support as well. So with no further ado, here is Jake Bible. So thanks for coming on, Jake, and uh, yeah, excited to to have you on. And um, and you know, this podcast is called the Prolific Writer, and I would say that you're you're highly prolific. Uh, now you have forty one books. Is that last count? Do you even know? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've I've lost count at forty. I have forty published novels. I know that. Um, I, I'm trying. I just finished <laughs> another novel last week, and I'm not sure if that's. 41 or if that's 42 that i've written i think it's 42 i've written because i have one coming out at the end of february by a, a new publisher i'm working with so okay. i don't know i i would ha- actually have to go down a list and, and start counting again. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of books I, I think you actually finished a novel even as we were talking before the podcast i think in three minutes you had one done yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, well, you know, that's that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on. I've been been following your podcast, uh, Writing in Suburbia. Great podcast, by the way. Check it out. Um, I've noticed you. I've noticed you haven't pu- you haven't put one up in a while, so I'm waiting for that one. But um, uh, probably writing, you know, nine more books. But um, but yeah, I just really appreciate what you you've had to say uh, about the craft and writing. You know, we talk about writing fast, writing often, writing well, and. Um, you know, you, you define, I've heard you say this in podcasts and, and other places, you know, you, you call yourself a modern pulp writer. Um, so yeah. w- what does that, what does that mean to you just to kind of kick things off? Well, I mean, there's, you know, way back in thirties, forties, fifties, there was the, the pulp writers, you know, golden age. Um, a lot of writers and a lot of big name writers actually had pseudonyms and they would just crank out crime and sci-fi and suspense, you know, novels as fast as they could to get a paycheck because, um, you know, <laughs> despite the legend <laughs> that, and the myth that is out there, uh, being a writer does not pay all that well oh, right. <laughs> unless you hit um, mega bestseller status. Um, there's, I mean, even New York Times bestsellers who still have day jobs. I mean, you, there's a lot of things that have to come into play for you to become a full-time writer. And um, my thing is, is I write about a novel a month. Um, they're about 75,000 words. And I write in genres that sell, sci-fi, horror, thriller. Um, you know, I, I would say I write to the market, 
um, which is definitely a component of being a pulp writer. Um, you know, it's not just the muse that is grabbing you. It's also, you know, <laughs> what readers are buying and reading. Um, that makes a huge difference. And uh, lucky for me, I have tons of interests and I constantly, I have more ideas than I will ever write in my lifetime. Um, my iPhone, you know, notes list is filled with ideas that, um, you know, I, I just will never get to. Um, so I don't, I don't struggle with, Oh, I'm just cranking out a novel. This is, Oh, this is killing me. Oh, my soul. Um, I have fun doing it. And so, having fun and then you know having the time i write full time i'm able to just dig in crank out a military sci-fi novel or a horror novel or zombie novel whatever um send it off to a publisher get my advance and start on the next one Uh and um that's basically the pulp fiction ethos that's that's how you do it (laughs) now uh before we before we'll get into some of the kind of craft nuts and bolts actually how you do it and things like that but um you know when you when you think about you know, writing to market or what genre to write in. How does that work as far as I know you, you're with Severed Press, a small press. Um, mm-hmm. are, are they telling you what you should write? Are you kind of giving them ideas? Is it kind of a back and forth? I mean, how do you, how do you really determine kind of what, what that looks like? Um, it's, it's a back and forth, uh, definitely. Um, you know, I've had ideas. Um, and sent them to them. And some of them, they're like, yeah, great ideas. Other ones, they're like, ooh, that – that one is not selling right now. Let's hold off on that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started with Severed Press uh, way back in, what was that, 2012, um, I already had a series, the Apex Trilogy, uh, self-published. Uh, they'd been with a small publisher, but that publisher went under. I got the rights back, self-published them. I realized I didn't want to be a self-publisher. Um, <laughs> I, w- I wanted a publisher's help in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I pitched that series to them. They took it. That was great. A year later, uh, I ended up losing my full-time job. The company that I worked for went under. And um, I immediately emailed Severed and was like, so what are you guys looking for? (laughs) Because I need to do something and fast. And Mm -hmm. one of the things they said is, we're looking for classic zombie apocalypse, like, you know, George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Mm -hmm. no bells, no whistles, just shambling zombie type Uh, novels right now i'm like you know let me think on that i don't know but then an idea came into my head of you know i mean classic romero style that that kind of story is always going to be a you know um you know comment on uh american society and um you know culture and you know with dawn of the dead he did commercialism and i'm like i live in a subdivision i live in an american subdivision I could totally roast the culture that's in this subdivision. So that's how I ended up writing Zburbia. Uh-huh. Um, so it was totally a prompt from them. You know, they're saying, this is what the market wants right now. This is what we want to put into the market. Uh-huh. But then it was also my mind playing with it a little bit uh-huh. and thinking, what could I come up with? And once it clicked, boom, I was, you know, off. And, uh-huh. you know, there's seven books in the series now. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah. Your Z- um, it's, it's really been that back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, the Z Burbis is great. Uh, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting about the series is, you know, you write zombies, but you, you kind of mock suburban life, um, oh, yeah. you know, subtly. I mean, it's funny, you know, you talk about HOAs and <laughs> all the, the crazy, you know, presidents of HOAs and the control and all, which is very true if you've ever lived in a suburb. And uh, and yet you still carry that in as the world is ending. Um, 
And also one of the things you know, I was just curious too, is you bring a lot of kind of your own, I can tell your own kind of personality, snarky, sarcastic, you know, funny characters. Um, yeah. When you started writing those books um, and, and it sounds like, a, I mean, some of your, I've seen some of your other uh, books as well as, uh, is that just part of you? Is that something that, that your, your publishers like, you know, we need to have just fun characters or is that just kind of, how does that work out in your mind as far as, um, cause they're fun reads. I mean, they, they, you really love the characters cause they're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. Okay. Um, you know, it's definitely, there's, uh, content, any content is all me. Um, the only thing I take from, you know, Severed or any of my other, my other publishers I've worked with, um, is, you know, general concept genre, that kind of thing. But other than that, everything else is, is me. Um, I tend to be <laughs> a snarky, sarcastic person. So <laughs> you will find at least one of those personalities in, uh-huh. in some of my books. So that's, uh-huh. that's going to happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, all content just, just comes from me, and that's just kind of my style. That's my voice. That's, uh-huh. that's how I write. Um, I think, you know, I like to have as much fun as possible. I've had some serious series and, you know, not so serious series. And, um, but, you know, o- overall, I definitely try and put a lot of humor, as much humor as I can get away with, depending on the story and the genre, um, into everything. Because I think, you know, it's, it's always even my, my own personal tastes. Like, I mean, you look at the movie Aliens and, you know, the best, some of the best characters in there are just mm-hmm. wisecracking, you know, smart-ass mm-hmm. Marines. Right. And that's what part of what ratchets, you know, ratchets up the tension is you end up loving those characters. And so to watch them die, it hurts twice as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's some design <laughs> in mm-hmm. the snark, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, and there's, there's something I think, deep, you know, there's almost like this deeper reality, too. Like, you know, The Walking Dead, they're starting to bring some characters are actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and they've, you know, smattered them in here and there. But, but it's like, you know, the world is ending. I mean, you, you, you almost have to laugh and find some kind yeah. of kind of joy in the midst of terror and, you know, darkness. And, um, and I think that's what, what, when you read your Z Burbia series, it doesn't, it, it's not just dark. It's not just, you know, it's like people that everyday normal people like you and I trying to make sense of life, but you know, obviously there's zombies, you know, they have to kill and things. Um, but their personalities are still there. You know, they're, they're yeah. still kind of who they are. And, um, I think when, when books are so dark, it's, it's hard I mean, you know, I also don't want to walk away just feeling, man, I just feel depressed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's nice to laugh once in a while. <laughs> oh, no, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, when I read Cormac McCarthy's The Road, I mean, mm-hmm. I honestly thought it, you know, it's a brilliant piece of literature. Sure. But I haven't read it again. No. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not going down that road again. Right. That, that is dark and bleak and some depressing stuff. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, stuck with me, but in a haunting way, you know, it's, that's, that's not how I'm going to spend my, you know, a few hours that I have for entertainment. Um, I'll move on to something else that may be just as dark and bleak as haunting, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to re- revisit that story because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is is uh, what's been feedback on like like a Zeburbia series as far as you know characters you know a little more on the fun side because you know I've I've read some some zombie stuff that I just because it's so dark it's just it's not interesting to me. Um, that that has been uh, the feedback. Um, you know the people who you know my biggest fans love it for the characters mm-hmm. and love it because these are people. 
um, just handling everything. You know, I think the way they they themselves feel they could handle stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, they see themselves in some of these characters. Um, they, they aren't just the gruff, tough heroes and mm-hmm. blow everything up and destroy it all. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of flawed people just stumbling through the apocalypse, and you know. Half the time they're surviving on luck, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is kind of how life is, really. Sure. We're, we're, we're all lucky to, you know, drive on a highway and get home in one piece, really. Right. So, you know, that's that's just kind of how I applied it. So a lot of the feedback has been they, they love the series because of the lightness and the fun uh, mm-hmm. moments that are in there. You know, I definitely ratchet up the action and the mm-hmm. blood and the guts oh, and, sure. the, and the horror when you have to, because otherwise then no one would take it seriously at all. Sure. Um, so there's that balance. But um, I think, yeah, it, the feedback I've gotten is the reason people come back to it is because they enjoy the characters and they want to read more of their lives and see what goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's a, it's a great series. I, um, so when you, when you're, um, you know, writing a a series like Zburbia, talk a little bit, I know you have quite a few series that have multiple books in them. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what says, tells you, cause you, you've been very candid on your podcast about, Hey, here's a idea I had, here's a book I had and it didn't really go. Um, so I kind of pivoted and I'm doing something else. Um, what was a Zburbia just the people obviously enjoyed it. We're buying it. You know, let's write more of it. Or is it, did you kind of have a big story arc in mind? Did you have the, was it seven books? I don't remember. Um, uh, it's, it's seven books. The main story arc is the first six books. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, seventh you... one. Yeah. Kind of starts with a new character as the narrator. Well, not a new character. One of the char- other characters as a new narrator. Okay. Um, and that was yeah, the the um, the new characters the the girl right uh, what's her name right um, Elspeth Elspeth yeah. yeah I like her she's funny um, did did you have that kind of plotted out in your head or you know loose ideas or was it kind of like I just had one and then just see where it went or how'd that go for you um, it started off as one and um, I kind of you know I left it slightly open ended mm-hmm. um, I knew I could write a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, sales warranted, you know, me writing a second one and they did, which was woohoo, mm-hmm. <laughs> lucky me. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, when, when the first one, you know, started just selling like crazy, I mean, and I say that in a <laughs> small press, you know, ebook context, <laughs> sure. not, not New York times, big sales, you know, across the country thing, but you know, enough success that it's like, wow, this this could be viable as a living. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when, you know, Severed was like, hey, you got a second one? Can you do a second one? I'm like, yeah, I've probably got it at, at least six in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're like, ooh, cool, great, go for it. And so, you know, I just I just kept writing them and they kept selling. Mm-hmm. So, it's a good, I mean, good, good problem yeah. to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll write more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's segue into that. Just kind of playing on that uh, or on that topic is okay. So you're writing, you're writing a book. Um, are you doing heavy outlines? I mean, obviously you're writing, you know, a book a month. So t- let's begin just kind of talking through your process a little bit. Um, you know, you got <laughs> chapter by chapter, loose ideas. Like, where, where, how does it look for, like for you? I, I am all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I host a, a, a co-host a, a monthly writer's coffee house at, at our local bookstore here, and <laughs> I'm always telling everyone if you're looking for you know concrete ideas on process, I am not the model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
I, it really depends on the book. It depends on the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, this latest book I wrote, um, Outpost Hell, which is just space marines trapped in you know a <laughs> nightmarish abandoned outpost mm-hmm. just trying to survive i honestly didn't write a single note or anything until i was on the last chapter hmm. um and at that point i'm like okay i need some structure so i can i can close this up you know get it finished or i'm just going to start rambling um past the time i need to <laughs> mm-hmm. you know this is i need i need to end this novel and now i can tie it all up and that's when i started writing stuff down um, some novels I have completely, uh, done, you know, fair, I don't want to say detailed. I don't put too much detail into outlines when I do outlines. Cause if you put too much detail in there, then you're just taking time away from actually writing the book. Yeah. Um, but my mega series, I have tended to, um, do a rough outline for each of those books. Um, just because they are thrillers, um, really, uh, more than, you know, they're about, you know, ex Navy SEALs and giant genetic sharks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really follow an action adventure, uh, thriller kind of structure and, um, being able to hit those beats and keep that rhythm going, keeps the energy of the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to bog down at any point. Um, so with those, I, I tended to outline, um, some of the Z Burbias I outlined, some of them, completely winged it mm-hmm. um i want to say which one was it zburbia five yes five um <laughs> that was like literally stream of consciousness mm-hmm. <laughs> that one i just sat down and wrote that puppy out i don't think i have an even a page on a legal pad you know anywhere that has a note about that one i'm mm-hmm. pretty sure i just went for it um, and it feels like that. That was kind of the narrative was definitely a, a stream of consciousness. You know, it's first person. Mm-hmm. So the, the narrator, the main character, Jace, was um, it worked because the premise was sort of him losing his mind in a way. Um, so that 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 stream of consciousness style totally worked for that book. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones, it can be a half and half. I can start off just going for it and then just come to a halt and have no idea what I'm doing. So then I outline the rest of the book from there. Um, Sometimes I start with a small outline for the first couple chapters and then it's just, you know, the, the, the narrative perpetuates itself and I don't really need much after that. Um, I write in so many different genres that, you know, it, (laughs) it it really just kind of depends on where my head's at and what I need to do to get myself into a space to be able to complete the novel in the time frame that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually what it comes down to. Okay. Um, so yeah, if I feel I need the outline to stay mm-hmm. on track, then I do it. Um, if the words are flowing, then I don't get in the way. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much, you know, my process there. Does, uh, does your uh, publisher, do they ever need an outline ahead of time or they, nope. you just no. go? Okay. Uh, no, they don't. And even when I signed on with my, with, with a new publisher, I'm still working with Severed Press, but I signed on with Bellbridge Books also. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't need an outline. They just they just want to pitch, you know, a basic okay. description of of what I'm going to do, um, and go from there. Um, and that's that's usually how it works. Um, I think most publishers are savvy enough to know that um, asking for a detailed outline from uh you know from a writer 
is kind of a pointless exercise because the book they're going to get really isn't going to be that outline. Sure. <laughs> Most writers, no matter how disciplined they are, end up deviating from that outline anyway. So um, it really just is, is kind of a, a waste of time in everybody's <laughs> book there. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. So I, I was talking earlier today with another author and uh, it was interesting because you were, you were ta- saying, you know, I don't really have concrete advice. And he kind of said something similar. He said, you know, you can, here's what I do, but you know, it doesn't mean anything really. Um, Cause you meet five authors and they do five different things. Um, right. <laughs> but one of, one of the, the conversations we had, which was kind of interesting was we were kind of talking about, he writes kind of horror and sci-fi and some other mm-hmm. urban fantasy and stuff. And I was just asking the question, you know, when you're, whether you you have a detailed outline or not, or just ideas is, do you, do you feel like based on the series you're in or the genre you're in, that there's certain kind of tropes that you want to hit as you're kind of telling the story? I mean, um, I, you know, I just heard Stephen Pressfield, he wrote a book called the knowledge. I don't know if you heard about that it just came out. Um, mm. and, and it's kind of a, um, uh, crime thriller. And he, he was talking about how he, he really wanted to have a, a fight scene where he got beat up. He was, he's actually the main character in the book, uh, fictional character. But, um, but he said, you know, this, this genre, you got to have someone that gets beat up at least once, you know, and he just made sure that right. was, was in there. Um, do you think about those things as you're kind of writing or is that just like, oh, this could be cool or does it really matter or? Um, a little bit here and there. Yeah. To, to a certain extent, like if I'm writing military sci-fi, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, in space Marines, there's, there's gotta be certain kind of things that you, you hit with that because that's what the readers are looking for. Um, I don't do it a ton. In fact, I probably get myself into more trouble by ignoring or outright dismissing tropes mm-hmm. <laughs> that I should mm-hmm. probably include. Uh, just because I tend to be a contrarian at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you tell me to do something, I'm going to probably do the opposite just because. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I do think about them, and it's it really if if it's going to fit my story, uh, I'll put it in there. You know, if if it's going to make readers happy, then you know that's my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, is to entertain and make readers happy. Um, but there's certain things like zombie apocalypse stuff. Um, it really depends. There's sub sub genres of the zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. There's totally the military, you know, take on it, or there's the, you know, my, you know, my general, just, you know, everyday man take on it kind of stuff. Um, so it, it really depends on where you're approaching it. I think with, with Zburbia, I could get away with anything because, um, I pretty much kind of showed in the first couple books that, yeah, your usual rules aren't going to apply so much. This is going to get crazy nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, that opened it up. But I, I, I found, you know, I've, as I've been writing a lot of science fiction, um, and I try not to read the reviews, and I t- usually don't, but, you know, sometimes they can give you a little insight in how things, um, you know, are with readers. They Sci-fi readers tend to be a little more conservative, Um, And I don't mean that necessarily politically or even culturally. Uh Um, It's it's conservative in how they read. Uh Um, If you take things too outside the box with them, they freak out. Uh They're like, nope, nope, (laughs) Uh didn't like that. That's not how it's supposed to go. Nope, rules, rules. Uh And (laughs) I've done that a couple times. And some of the reviews I read are like, 
wow, I really pissed this guy off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it did not go the way he thought it was going to go. So I have to be mindful sometimes of those kinds of things that, you know, if I'm going to take a detour, it better be a really good detour and it better actually, you know, improve the story. Um, because otherwise, I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm going to get lambasted no matter what. But um, if this detour doesn't matter, then I'm just going to get destroyed for, you know, doing something that was just flat out stupid. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, you know, it's, it's more of instead of using tropes, it's more of I have to be conscious if I ignore them, I better have a good reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, were you, were you the one talking about how uh, some of the cursing in, in a couple of your books oh, as yeah. far as sci-fi, as if, you know, there's no more cursing in space or, you know, in the future that just goes I, away or something? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't believe how um, readers freak out. There are so many... Um, negative reviews on some of my books because of the cursing that's in there. And I mean, I have a book that is literally set (laughs) on a military training space station. Uh So it's nothing but boot camp 24 hours a day, basically. And so there's going to be some salty mouths there. That's how it's going to be. And people freaked out. They're like, that's, that's not how people talk. Right. And it's, it's like, um, well, no, in general, that's not. Um, in this context, sure. yeah, it kind of is. I, I know a few people in the military. And if, you, right. if you tried to convince them that the military culture is a sanitized, you know, very you know, polite-mouthed culture, they would laugh, and they mm-hmm. do. And um, when I tried that with Salvage Merc 1, by using, you know, kind of euphemisms, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, the Battlestar, latest Battlestar Galactica series did, using mm-hmm. frack, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of the F word. Right. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of did that. I ended up getting negative reviews from folks in the military mm-hmm. because I wasn't actually using real curse words. Right. So Can't win. It, it's a no-win situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's all there is to it. It's like those those movies and TV shows they used to have on TV where they you know bleep out. They put like a different word instead of the curse oh, yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I wonder what he was saying there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I it, it's such a fascinating conversation with the whole, you know, what – you can never win. It's, you know, sci-fi, it's not technical enough. It's too outside the box. It's, you know, um, yeah. it's probably wise to kind of avoid some of the reviews just for your own sanity. But yeah, I just, you know, right. I just stop reading because yeah, right. you'll go crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, obviously you're telling good stories so that, you know, they're overlooking some of those things if they're the pure sci-fi or the pure zombie person or the, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're still entertaining people. They're still enjoying, you know, the, the work. And, um, and I think in the end, that's probably what all that matters, you know? Right. Exactly. Because I think there's, you know, it's funny with books. Like I'm not, I, I read cross genre. I'm read everything. And when you yeah. meet people that all they read is zombie books, I mean, one, you're kind of like, you know, what's wrong with you? I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, nothing exactly. against zombie reader, but you know, no. it's like there's, there is other stuff. Out. I mean, if, if that's all I read, I just don't, I couldn't even fathom that. I mean, I couldn't even fathom just reading yeah. people that read just romance. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they're crazy. They, they read nine a week, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's the same story over and over and over, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've been a voracious reader since I was, you know, little. Um, and I get bored. You know, if I just read one genre over and over, you know, there'll there'll be points where I'll read three, four, maybe five books 
um, in a genre in a row just because I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed by it. And that's mm-hmm. my mindset. But then after a while, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I got yeah. I got to move on to something else. Um, I would go crazy if I only just read, you know, romance or just read zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest I've come is over the summer. I binged read all of Richard Stark's um, Parker novels, which mm-hmm. are all crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just because they're awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and they read fast. And mm-hmm. um, I was just engrossed. I'm like, I want more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I read I think there's what 12 of those or something like that. 12 mm-hmm. or 13. Um, so I just read them all over the summer and they're fast reads. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I was done with that, I, I didn't like move on to another crime writer. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I've had my fill of crime. And so, you know, I moved on to nonfiction mm-hmm. <laughs> and was yeah. reading some of that. So yeah, I couldn't imagine just being stuck in one genre. Sure. And obviously that comes out in your, your writing I and mean, you're writing a lot of different stories and different genres is um how, how do you find your fans i mean are they able to kind of make the leap with different series or do you just kind of have the, the hardcore i only read this i only read that or they know you're kind of all over and how's that how's that been for you um it's 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 been good actually um i probably wouldn't be able to make a living um writing if um my fans didn't cross over from genres mm-hmm. um i definitely got my biggest fan base with the zeburbia novels um, and then, you know, as people were waiting for another Z Burbia to come out, they're like, oh, he's got these other books. Let's try these. Um, and so folks started reading some of the other stuff and I, and I do get that. I'll get emails and I'll get messages here and there that are saying, you know, I just finished your blah, blah, blah series. Um, I don't usually read this other genre, but I see you're writing a series in that. So now I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm lucky enough that I'm grabbing, you know, my readers, in one series and doing, doing my job, entertaining them, you know, well enough that they are then hopping over into other genres. They may not necessarily read, but, um, you know, they're reading it, they're reading it because it's my style. It's my voice. It's, it's my work. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the classic thing. There's, you know, the great, great, you know, writer, Joe R. Lansdale and everyone's like, well, is he crime? Is he horror? Is Mm -hmm. he splatterpunk? Is he mystery? What, what is he? And everyone's like, He's Joe R. Lansdale. <laughs> right. That's his genre. Right. So eventually I want to get to that point where, yeah. you know, someone says my name and no one goes, oh, he just writes blank books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like, oh, I love his books. Or have you tried this series? Or, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get to that point <laughs> in mm-hmm. my career where, um, you know, it's my name that matters, not the mm-hmm. genre. Yeah, and I think, you know, we live in this different day, too. I think this, you know, just look at Netflix and binging. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, people are into so many different things. I mean, it, people, every day, someone's like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I've never even heard of that, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, there's just so many different, you know, it's not just one thing. You know, we used to have three channels on TV, you know. it's Yeah, exactly. Um, th- there's a lot out there. And if it's a good story, it's a good story. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's go back a little bit. Um, some of your... Um, I guess you don't have to go to year one, you know, when you were your formative years, but obviously you, you've taken in a lot of stories. You, you, you've been writing a long time. Let's talk a little bit about just kind of how you all, how you began. And, um, and then how did you kind of know, you know, this kind of way of writing that you could pull it off? I mean, obviously writing quickly and fast and often, but writing good stories. I mean, you're not writing junk. You're not just throwing stuff on the wall um, is, you, you know, talk a little bit about that, just kind of your influences of storytelling and then kind of how you knew, like, hey, I could, I think I can actually do this. 
Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've been a voracious reader. Uh, that That is the key. Um, I have been reading, I mean, all kinds way above age level since I was very little. Um, you know, the first the first stories that really, truly grabbed me, um, I would say, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, um, when I was probably like eight or nine, um, I didn't comprehend and understand everything uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, that were in those stories, but there was just something there that was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and then there was also you know, Susan Cooper's Dark is Rising series. Um, I can remember reading that, you know, like in fifth grade or something and just be like, wow, this is, this is really neat. Um, and that, that, that kind of, you know, the storytelling has always stayed with me. I've always been a voracious reader. I watched, you know, tons of TV, you know, more so than probably people would think is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, immersed myself in movies. I was in community theater for, you know, 10 years as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, storytelling has always just been a part of me. And so, you know, in high school and a little bit afterwards, I, I, I was doing a lot of, you know, fiction writing. Um, but I kind of fell out of it just because the world moved a lot slower than I did. Um, that was back in the time when you had to physically mail stories off. Um, you had to physically mail manuscripts off. And um, I'm just not a patient person. <laughs> so I kind of quit it. And then the world, the Internet caught up to me. <laughs> and eventually after you know having my wife, I had you know and kids and working a full-time job, I started getting back into writing and I started emailing small, you know, short story markets and just, you know, started getting back into it and realized it's where my brain has always been, you know, why I would space off and watching a movie is because all of a sudden my mind would take that idea and go a different direction and then half the movie would be gone. I'm like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) I just totally spaced off in that. What happened? Um, and it was, you know, I just started off writing short stories. And then then I, I ended up deciding I'm going to write a novel. And I podcast that novel for free um, through iTunes. And that really gave me the bug. And part of it was I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. I podcast as I was writing it. Um, so literally I would, you know, the day before I'm going to record an episode, I just finished that episode's content. Um, (laughs) that was like a huge no, no, not Uh supposed to do that, Uh but that kind of deadline, um, that kind of time crunch, it's, it really kind of drives me on. Um, so it worked that, that worked for me. And, um, you know, so I was writing for a couple years, uh, wrote a few novels, got an agent, uh, didn't end up selling any of those novels I wrote (laughs) when Uh I was with that agent. And then, you know, like I said, um, I ended up losing my full-time job and um, I was like, wow. So I I only have a couple, (laughs) a a, a couple expertise. One, I can cook. Um, So I had been in food service for a while. I could go back into that, but then I would never see my family again. Um, It's a brutal business. Um, Or I had been a sales rep, uh, which means life on the road, which means never seeing my family again. It's a brutal lifestyle. I was like, well, what if I tried writing for a living? Um, I had, for the past couple of years, you know, before that, um, 
been writing under a pseudonym, pseudonym, pseudonym. Um, I've been writing a lot of erotica um, because the Kindle came out and that was a huge market. Uh-huh. And uh, until Amazon put the brakes on that genre, <laughs> basically uh-huh. said, well, we've we've built the Kindle up to a good, you know, good status and we don't want any of you anymore. <laughs> they, uh-huh. they chopped that off and literally that income you know, ended overnight. But I had learned to write fast. Uh-huh. Um, I had in that time writing erotica, you know, I was writing, you know, 3000 um, word, you know, short story a day. Mm-hmm. Um, just cranking those things out. You know, it was horrible, awful. Just, <laughs> just mm-hmm. it was not good writing, but it flexed that you know prolific muscle. It mm-hmm. it taught me how to structure. It taught me how mm-hmm. to you know get the right amount of dialogue in the scene, um, action, all this kind of stuff. And it, from there, all I had to do was kind of switch out my mindset and go, okay. Um, instead of sexy time, now it's blow up buildings and you know kill monsters time. Mm-hmm. It's you know. It's kind of stuff. So I took that discipline and moved it into writing novels, and um, that's. I mean, it, it really is an exercise. It's like anything else. It's like you know learning to, you know, play a sport or you know become a painter or anything. It's practice, uh-huh. and um, I put the time in, and <laughs> when the leap of faith happened um i luckily had that time behind me and so i'm like yeah i think i can do this uh-huh. and um and then of course timing and luck hit one more time and zburbia took off uh-huh. um we wouldn't be talking right now if zburbia had bombed because uh-huh. <laughs> so, i would have had to get a, a full-time job i would not have been able to keep going okay so so Zber- <laughs> so you were you were launching Zburbia as you were losing your job. Is that how the timeline? I, I had lost my job. Okay. Um, I had no form of income coming in other than some residual royalties coming in from um, Amazon okay. uh, for some of the you know old erotica stuff that I'd written um, and you know Barnes and Noble the ebooks. Um, but other than that, I mean, I had I had no income on the horizon. And um, it literally was one of those things where my wife and I are sitting on the couch and she's just like, do you think you can make a living writing? And I was like, yes, because I don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Which is, it's that, and unfortunately, I wish it wasn't that way. That's when I tend to thrive. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no looking back, no other choice. It's forward or it's die. Uh-huh. So, you know, um, and I got lucky. Like I said, Zburbia hit. And uh-huh. um you know, that afforded me the opportunities to keep writing more novels. Was there, was there a moment where you said, you know, maybe it was on the couch with your wife when you had no choice, but was there a moment where you, you, you really thought though, like, I, I think I can do this and I can do it well. I mean, was it writing erotica? Was it in high school? Was it, I mean, where you just said, even if I don't get paid for it, you know, this is something I, I just, I'm a storyteller and that's what I want to do. Was there like a moment where you, that you had that kind of epiphany or, um, it was, it was definitely before I lost my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of towards the point where Amazon, you know, chopped off the income and, and, mm-hmm. you know, squashed the whole erotica genre for the Kindle that, you know, I was just looking at it going, you know, I could apply what I've learned from this to writing full time. I think I could do it if I had the time, especially in this day and age of eBooks, mm-hmm. um, if I had the time, and I had 
and I, and I had a publisher. I could find a publisher. These were the two things I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I could crank out you know, short novels. I could, mm-hmm. I could do what the old pulp writers used to do. Mm-hmm. I, I actually thought that. Um, so I don't know if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, but when, when, you know, the job was gone, the full-time job was gone, I, I was mentally already prepared to just be like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. This is just going to happen. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had thought about it. I definitely put some, some thought into it. And I'm also, I'm not an artist with a capital A. I'm more of an artisan. Mm-hmm. Um, where if if business isn't involved, if I'm not going to make money at it, I got all kinds of interests. I can do other things. I mean, I'll always be a storyteller. I can always do you know that. But I could volunteer you know with community theater and do technical direction. I could get involved that way. I could do all kinds of stuff. Um, but for me to really dive into it, uh, as, as cheesy as it sounds. There's got to be a financial component to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I need that carrot. Um, sure. be, being a writer is a big enough stick. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. It mm-hmm. really is hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be something at the end there. There has to be a reward. And for me, it's you know, I, it's 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 now my full time living. Um, you know, I don't make a ton of money, not even close. But um, I make more than I was making at my full time job before. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. There we go. You know, that, that is a big motivator. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, if people go listen to your writing in suburbia podcast, you talk a lot about that. Yeah. Like this is my job. Like I don't, I don't do things just for fun. Like, I mean, it's fun, but I, I do right. it because I'm providing for my family. And so I can't just mess around and, you know, yeah, um, exactly. And, and yeah, you always joke about, you know, the Stephen King money. Yeah. Hey, if that comes and I can take a year to write a book, I'll do it. But right now I can't. So, you know, right, exactly. got to write the next and, one. And the, and the reality is, because of who I am, someone could give me huge amounts of money and say, you have a year to write this novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the 11th month, I would be scrambling to get it done <laughs> because right. I would just have been goofing off mm-hmm. <laughs> for, you know, mm-hmm. the previous year. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to thrive, like I said, thrive at those deadlines, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the gun against my head kind of thing. Um, you know, got to get it done. Otherwise I'm just going to get lost in the fun mm-hmm. of life and probably just sit on the couch and <laughs> stream mm-hmm. Netflix. Right. Be like, right. it's research. It's <laughs> yeah. Research. research. I'm a storyteller. Come right. <laughs> right. I love it. So, so let's, um, let's talk a little, uh, a bit. I know we've talked a little bit about your process that you don't have one, but, um, <laughs> let's, uh, so, so you lose the job, you start writing yep. Zeburbia and obviously you're, you're in it to win it. This is my job. I don't, I'm not looking back. I got a publisher, you know, I'm going to crank out these novels. So you write, you know, 75,000, 80,000 words per book, uh, yep. one a month. Yep. That's uh, very fast, obviously. Um, so let's just talk about just, you know, principally kind of the, um, you know, how do you do that to actually create a good draft that's, you know, can go off to editors and it's readable and that kind of thing. I mean, are you a guy who's just blazing through it and then rewriting it, um, drafting, editing as you go kind of, how, how does that process work to knowing yourself enough now that, okay, I have about a month to get this done. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Um, well, first off I look at it and, you know, the, the practical structure, uh, to get 75,000 word novel done in a month is 
And I, I don't work on weekends um, unless there's some crazy deadline or I absolutely have to. Uh, weekends are family time. And I don't work in the evenings either because my brain's usually dead. Plus, it's family time. The, you know, the, whole, the family's here. Um, and, you know, there's, I'm not going to write while I have that distraction. I'm also not going to take time away from them. That's uh-huh. just not who I am. Um, so I structure it out. You know, I need to average 5,000 words a day Monday through Friday. Uh-huh. You do that three weeks in a row. And you have a 75,000 word novel Uh and that leaves a week for editing. Um, I am a puzzle person. I'm a loophole kind of mind. Uh Um, I love contracts. Absolutely love them. Uh, In fact, I, I, at one point was looking to go into be a paralegal and uh, work, you know, just on contracts. If you put one, it could be, you know, 300 pages. You put one in front of me, I'm going to find the loophole. I'm going to find the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, my brain works that way when I'm crafting a novel, even if I don't have an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll just subconsciously be like, hey, this puzzle piece fits here. Mm-hmm. This piece fits here. And if I can't figure out where the pieces fit, I'll walk away. Maybe I only got 1,200 words done that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't try and push myself to, you know, jam those pieces together. Uh (laughs) I'm not just, you know, trying to get the duct tape out and go, make it work. Uh Um, I will walk away and let my mind figure it out. Um, And, you know, at at first when I would do that, I was, I would beat myself up. I had a lot of guilt. I'm like, is this procrastination? Um, Am I not putting the time in? Am I not putting the effort in? I need to. But after 40 novels, I've realized this is my process. Um, Uh If it's not coming, it's not coming. Uh, I'll get up and I'll clean I'll maybe I will watch Netflix. Um, if I do, I tend to watch something in a genre completely opposite of what I'm writing in. Um, and maybe I'll find some inspiration from there. Um, I know when to walk away from the keyboard. Um, I don't, you know, I don't beat myself up anymore. Um, you know, and so that, that has become as much a part of my process, you know, knowing when not to write. Um, as it is knowing when to write and, you know, writing full time, writing during the day when I don't have, you know, distractions of life, you know, when this, and I look at it as a job, when the words are flowing, I, you know, I can crank out 10,000 words in a day. Um, and especially, I mean, the re- reality of an arc of a novel for me is, you know, first couple days, maybe 1,500, 2,000 words. Uh, next couple days, maybe I hit 3,000. Um, next few days of writing, I'm probably averaging about 5,000. Uh-huh. But then towards the end, I mean, I may have 7,500, 8,000, 10,000 word days and just crank that ending out because all the pieces are already in place. Uh-huh. Now it's just a matter of polishing it all over, get that uh-huh. story so it fits. Plus knowing I'm gonna, I have a week to go back. And, you know, cut pieces <laughs> that aren't pu- part of the puzzle, uh-huh. uh, add, add a piece in here that, you know, does make it uh, fit better and just, you know, kind of polish it up and fix it. Uh-huh. Um, and then, boom, it's it's off to the publisher. Uh-huh. And uh, then I let my mind usually rest a few days <laughs> and start in on the next one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I found, I found it interesting. You, were, you talked about that on your podcast. I don't know which episode, but uh, kind of how you slowly kind of build yeah. the, the words it's like you're the story's kind of coming and coming and then once it kind of hits you just fly and you know get it get it done so what would you say you know when you're done like after those three weeks and you have you know a kind of blob of clay or or a, at least a, a manuscript or a draft um 
how, how much polishing do you have to do? I mean, are you doing a lot of, I mean, obviously typos and stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, yeah. are you doing like rewrites, cutting scenes? Like how, how much surgery are you having to do after those three weeks? Uh, not much. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's get all the proofreading out of there. Of course, there's going to be a ton of typos and grammatical sure. errors. And that's what editors are for. Right. <laughs> that's what people who get paid to be proofreaders are for. I'll fix what I find, of course, sure. um, you know, as I'm going along. But I'm definitely looking at story and character. Um, I'm looking at story, you know, continuity and character consistency. Um, I want to make sure, you know, this character doesn't end up sounding like another character because my, you know, I had a brain fart halfway through the novel. Um, and sometimes that happens and I will just switch the character names around, um, a little bit and just kind of massage it that way. And that's how I fix it. I'm not rewriting the entire chapter. I'm not rewriting that whole part. Um, I fix it. I fix what I have in front of me. Um, I never toss a draft. I'm not going to toss a chapter um, I may cross off, you know, a useless paragraph just because mm-hmm. I'm like, I just said that in the last chapter. This is, you know, that piece is already there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just being redundant. Um, but I don't rewrite. Um, the story that I finished and the story that's before me is the story I have. Mm-hmm. And I tweak it and fix it to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of like. You know, when you may not have a meal planned at home, you look in the fridge and go, all right, this is what I got to work with. Well, mm-hmm. we better make this tasty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out you're like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, pasta with butter and garlic powder and Parmesan is actually tasty. OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's um, I, I, don't, I know a lot of writers who will go through three or four drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I could. And it's funny, even I use my exact same process I do with Severed Press manuscripts. Uh, when I wrote the first manuscript, I sent off to Bellbridge Books. Mm-hmm. And Severed Press is, is very guerrilla. They're basically giving me a full proofreading, but not really any story editing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what I hand them is really what ends up getting published. Um, Bellbridge are way more like a big traditional publisher. They're a small press, but... They have a story editor, the main editor I deal with. Then they have a copy editor mm-hmm. <laughs> who then goes goes back through and is like, yeah, you, you can't change point of views mid-sentence. That doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. Um, and then they have a, you know, a line editor that goes by line by line and is like, no, that's not where that comma goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to mean mm-hmm. the wrong thing. Um, and then they have a proofreader that goes over it and is like, typo, go away. Typo, typo, typo. Mm-hmm. Fix this, that kind of thing. And then it's done. So there's levels and layers. And basically went through the same process. Um, I got some, you know, notes back story-wise, but I didn't have to rewrite anything. I just had to tweak a few things and tighten up a few things um, and cut a couple things that were just redundant that I didn't catch before. Um, But basically my process stayed the same. Um, I did not go through a, like, second full draft rewrite. Um, It was basically the manuscript I handed just improved. Uh So that, that seems to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's me. Right. right. <laughs> well, you know, and I think there's something to it. I, I, um, I don't know if you ever listened to like Dean Wesley Smith or, you know, he, he's a big proponent. Every once in a while. Yeah. 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 He's, he's just a big proponent of, I mean, he's a pulp writer and yes. um, says that when we write fast or, or just, you know, 
he calls it, you know, our creative voice versus our critical voice. And it's actually in the editing and in the rewriting that sometimes we get into that critical voice and we change the voice of the, of the book. We, we want to sound like something or, you know, and and then all of a sudden the book just feels kind of this like clunky, you know, weird thing Um, that we have to kind of trust that subconscious, trust that like yourself, you've been reading stories, taking in stories for, you know, 30, 40 years, your whole life. Um, and, and it's just there. And so you're just telling a story. And so I think sometimes when we, we, we think, well, we got to write it slow and we got to, you know, take seven years and do 19 drafts. You, you're actually taking out some of that creativity and that subconscious of like, this is the story. Like when I wrote that, that's what it needed to be at that time. And then when I write another yep. one, that's what it needs to be at that time. Um, and, and, and also I think obviously you've gotten better as a storyteller and as a writer over the years. And so, Hey, those first books weren't as good as these ones because that's just where I was at the time. You know, that's who I was right. at the time. You know, and I think sometimes we we just get too hung up on, oh, this is just a crappy story. I mean, how many books have we read that we go, this is terribly written, but it's a great story? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a typo. Oh, that yeah, they shouldn't put that comma there. But like, I love the story. <laughs> you know, I can't put yeah. it down. You know, um, well, I mean, you have to say, as as maligned as it is, the Twilight series is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hate it all you want. It's not great writing. No. But it captured millions upon millions upon millions of readers. It right. was the right story at the right time. Right. Um, and if, you know, she had taken, you know, everyone's critical advice, she probably would have killed what voice was in there mm-hmm. that actually made it the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's that's how it is. You, you have to... Writing is so much about, and success in writing is so much about timing. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is all about timing. It's not about quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never, ever has been. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about what books hit at what time. So at some point, you have to just let your ego win and be like, you know what? This is a great book. I like it. <laughs> and walk away. Um, mm-hmm. Or you will, like you said, kill that voice uh, that's in there. And um, you may end up killing what would have been brilliant success. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't have to win a Pulitzer. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, unless that is your life's goal. Right. You, you need to get that out of your head. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality of winning great acclaim in publishing is <laughs> that's that's less than you know being able to make a full time living. Right. So <laughs> there's always going to be haters. Mm-hmm. You just you know find your voice. Stick with it, improve it, but uh, don't, yeah, you're right. Don't second guess yourself um, or you'll kill that spark and you may end up burning out and walking away from it. Um, And, you know, then no one gets any benefit from that. Do do you, you know, you talk about the ego. I think the ego is what, why we, you know, we think we're better than we really are. I think that's partly why we, you know, I'm going to write the next American, you know, greatest American novel. And so, you know, watch me go, but then you never finish anything. Um, Right. Exactly. And, you know, you're on your 19th, you know, Hey, I'm writing this book. Yeah. Haven't you been talking about it for 10 years? When are you going to finish that thing? You know? Um, But um, I think I lost my train of thought, but the, the, Oh, I was going to say, so when you're, when you're done, like you're done here, I'm done with this story. What does it look like for you? I mean, how much do you think about past stories, past books? Um, obviously, if you're writing a series, you might have to reread one or whatever. Um, but I mean, are you able to kind of just separate yourself and say, okay, that's it. It's done. Move on to the next one. You know, don't have champagne and just kind of say, okay, let's, I mean, what, what's kind of the mind, the mindset for you? Yeah. Um, I'm actually 
pretty good. I don't want to say I'm perfect at it, but I'm uh-huh. pretty good at going, well, that's over and done with, and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh-huh. Um, I produce my own audiobooks, uh-huh. um, or at least I, you know, I contract narrator producers to produce it and do royalty split through ACX. Uh-huh. Um, and so I have to proof the final product. I have to listen to eight hours of my novel right. um, and you know, make sure there isn't a stray, you know, burp or, you know, edit click or something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just do that, that last little quality control. And so I hear what I've written. And there are times where I'm like, wow, I should have read that out loud because that sounds silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, when you hear someone reading it, you're like, oh, yeah. Yep. Ouch. Um, <laughs> And, you know, my first novel, I started off podcasting, so I know better. I know I should read it out loud, but sometimes time doesn't allow, and that's just how it is. And um, But I don't get hung up on it. Um, And it's funny. I I grew up in Oregon, and Mm -hmm. I I attribute my skill of letting things go to being a longtime University of Oregon Ducks fan, Mm -hmm. where people now are like, what? That big powerhouse. It's like, that that didn't used to be a powerhouse football team. That used to be the losingest team in the past. And they're called the Ducks, so you're just going to get made fun of no matter what. (laughs) And so, you know, you develop a, a thick skin over just certain things in life and mm-hmm. i have learned to apply that to that book's done and published move on you know mm-hmm. if you want to fix that don't make the same mistake in another book mm-hmm. um and that's how i apply it you know learn a lesson move on mm-hmm. um don't make the same mistake again sometimes i listen sometimes i do make the same mistake again mm-hmm. it, it happens we're all human that's how they're how it is um but you know, if, if, if I, you know, I don't beat myself up over mistakes that I find, you know, a year later because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do about it. Sure. That's a good perspective. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's that polishing, you know, that we write that one book and then we yeah. market it and we talk about it and then we, you know, but you haven't written anything else, you know, for five years. It's, it's just saying, okay. Yeah. It's, and it's and I could see, you know, if, if someone is, you know, fretting over the same manuscript for five years, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can totally see how they could get into that loop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I write a novel a month. I've got to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't <laughs> get stuck in something. And it is that ego of, you know what? I can write a better story. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's, you know, one reason some writers become writers. It's definitely one reason I became a writer was that, you know, reading something going, I can do better than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll hear my own stuff and be like, I can do better than that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm going to. <laughs> yep. That was a really dumb chapter. Never do that again. <laughs> right. No, and I, I really appreciate your honesty. I, You know, on your podcast, too, you talk about that a lot, just saying, hey, yeah, I have some good books, and there's some that are just, you know, yeah. they're okay. Um, you know, yeah. they're not drabble, but they're, you know, they're, yeah. there's just things I could have done better. And, and I think that's, you know, you're talking about early on, We at the beginning, you talked about practice. And it's funny how, you know, we don't think of writing as practice. Like every novel is another opportunity to practice. It's to right. try different things, maybe use more exposition, yeah. maybe use more dialogue, maybe, you know, try first person or third person or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's just another opportunity to practice, you know? And, and I think yeah. it's, it's funny. Like 
we forget that. We we forget that the next one's just another opportunity. It's it's not the end all. It's just you know I I love what Dean Wesley Smith says. He says it's just words. He's like just yeah, you just write more of them. Like you, he, you, he, exactly. You, you delete some. You write more. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not you know cancer. It's not we're not keep putting someone on the moon. It's like it's a story. So just write more of them. You know, it, totally. Um, what, you know, one of the the best lessons you know I've heard uh, one of my co-hosts for the Writers Coffee House here in town, uh, Beth Revis, she wrote 10 novels before she wrote Across the Universe. Um, all of those 10 novels got rejected by every agent that she put them in front of. And then she wrote Across the Universe. It was accepted. It hit the right timing and became a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had 10 novels, failed novels mm-hmm. under her belt mm-hmm. before she hit the stride and hit sure. the one that, you know, succeeded. Um, and now she's, you know, five novels of success in, um, you know, that, that, that practice helps. You're not going to hit it out of the park on the very first try. Um, the reality of that is, is pretty slim. Um, and the other, you know, and I think that also is a great lesson of writers, especially beginning writers need to stop holding themselves up to other writer standards. Uh-huh. You can, you can never be another writer. You can only be you, right? You can only be you and you will only have your experiences and you will only write your novels. Mm -hmm. Um, so stop trying to measure success by others success. Um, because the vast majority of writers you asked, they're going to go, it it, it was the right time. (laughs) There's, there's no secret. There's no, you know, they, they had the right experience. They may have been practicing, but it's one of those things that when opportunity knocked, they were ready for it. Uh-huh. But they put in the time, but it wasn't, they'd have no secret to be able to say how opportunity knocked. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> it just knocked and they opened the door and stepped through and voila, there right. we go. Yeah. Um, so you just, you know, just prepare yourself as much as you can mm-hmm. um, because your experience is going to be totally different yeah. than anybody else's, yeah. you know, any other writer's experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's that Stephen King story, you know, he his carry novel, you know, threw it in the trash, his wife picks it out of yep. the trash and gets yep. this half a million dollar advance, you know, and, and exactly. he, he was just a school teacher just making no money and yep. You know, but I think that there's something about him and there's something, you know, yourself, it's but the difference is they're in the game, you know, they're they keep producing, yeah. they keep writing, you know, even when things aren't hitting maybe as much as as fast as they want it to. But they're they're they they're in the game so that when the opportunity does come, you know, it's what's interesting. The I think the people that write the most and the and the, are disciplined and work the hardest actually seem to be the luckiest. You know, it's because they don't just write those. Oh well, that one book did okay, or that two, and then I'm done. It's it's like no, I'm just going to co- continue to strive and grow and produce and and yeah. see, see what happens. You know, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's it's the classic story of you know, say like. Michael Jordan being cut from his high school basketball team, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, but he didn't quit. The mm-hmm. only way you lose in this business is by quitting. Yep. Um, if you keep pushing forward and if you remind yourself that this is a business and this is a job also, this is mm-hmm. work. Um, this isn't some flight of fancy, you know, uh, way to win the lottery without having to, you know, <laughs> pick numbers. That's, you know, as long as you look at it realistically, that this this takes work, this is a job, things don't always hit, there's going to be ups and downs, and you keep pushing forward, 
then all that overnight success that the media loves to apply to <laughs> authors that have all of a sudden shown up on the bestseller list, but who've been working at it for a decade, then you know all of that hard work pays off. You, you know, literally, the only way you lose is is by quitting. Um, you know, just keep pushing forward because you know then you'll have the experience when that opportunity does happen. Well, you stole my question. My question was, well, what advice would you give an aspiring writer? And I think that's that's kind of sums it up is don't quit. And it, it is don't quit. And one thing, and it's, it's something that very almost no other writers say. They'll say that don't quit and say stuff like that. But I also say be prepared for success. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of writers and a lot of artists are not. And mm-hmm. there's a billion TV specials about what goes wrong afterwards. Uh Um, Have an idea, dream, dream big and, you know, and think of those dreams. Okay. So what if your book hits? What if you end up on the New York times bestseller? Uh Are you psychologically and emotionally ready for that? Uh Um, Start getting ready because there's going to be a lot of attention. There's going to be a lot of things. Uh I haven't hit any bestseller lists, but I have success as, you know, a full-time writer. Sure. Um, and I've had ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And if I didn't have a realistic look at it, I probably would have seen that success as, oh, yeah, I've made it, I've made it, I've made it. Um, but I, I, I planned, I had that success, and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to need to get re- ready for the failure because it's going to happen at some point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, you sock some money away. You get yourself ready to write something else. You start, you know, you make sure you're paying attention to the markets to see, you know, what's hitting, what's not, those kinds of things. And then when I did hit a valley, which will happen, uh-huh. um, and some books didn't sell very well, I had something to build on. I was like, well, I've got this idea. and Let's build on that. Let's go with that. Um, so, you know, I, I knew with success there was going to become, you know, there's going to be that chance of failure too. Um, and I think too many people don't think past getting that book published. Um, they, they see that as the end goal and really the work begins after you're published. Right. Oh, wait, you don't just publish and then just sit up, drive around your Cadillac right. and your mansion and exactly. <laughs> the, as the money just rolls in, yep. uh, you know, you actually, I, I don't. You, you might know offhand your the episode you actually talked about that in your podcast about being prepared for success. I love that episode. Yeah. Um, and it's true. It's, it's actually a funny thing that I think in, it can apply to so many areas of life and work and yeah, is we don't ever think about, well, what if it actually works? <laughs> you know, what if it, <laughs> what if the thing we're making actually people like it and buy it, you know, what are we going to do? Well, yeah, it's, it's the classic story in life, you know, applied to whatever of self-sabotage where everybody get, you get what you've been dreaming for mm-hmm. and then what? Right. Well, I'm just going to tear it all down. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, no, don't, don't do that. You know, build on it, but you, you got to be prepared for that success because that success is going to be hard work too. Yep. Um, so, you know, get ready. <laughs> great advice. Great advice. So tell us, uh, just as we wrap things up, uh, what are you working on? What do you got coming out? What do you, you know, as you call on your website, or what do you need to pimp right now? Um, <laughs> um right now that is out is Roke galactic bounty hunter um and it's it's it takes place in the same universe as my salvage merc one series and uh drop team zero um so i've kind of built a a space opera universe galaxy with different races and all kinds of aliens and and terminology and i'm just 
using that as a template for other things. So Roke is out right now. Mm -hmm. um, I just turned in Outpost Hell, which is Space Marines in Trouble, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically. And um, that's going to be in that same universe, too. But um, they're not connected books. I'm just sort of kind of building on my own space mythos. Mm -hmm. um, and, geez, what's, what's coming up next? Up next is going to be... Writing a novel, another novel for Bellbridge Books. I'm doing Urban Fantasy, which is new. Um, I haven't done that before. Um, and oh, pre-order for a contemporary fantasy I just wrote for them um, is going to start uh, next week, and that's Stone Cold Bastards. Uh, basically, it's a demon apocalypse. Uh, demons have taken over humanity, and the only saviors left are um, gargoyles that have come alive to protect the last few humans left on Earth. Um, so it's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you know, all, 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 all the info can be found at jakebible.com. So that's, that's the easy place to go and find out what's going on. Cool. Definitely put yeah. that in the show notes. I know I got all that. And, uh, cool. now did you talk, were you saying you were working on like a, a police crime book at some point or that was just an idea? Yeah, it's, it, it was an idea. And, you know, at some point I'm going mm -hmm. to get into that right now. I'm kind of applying what I've learned from reading crime uh, into sci-fi. Okay. Um, so I've, you know, been applying some of that into there. I think when I do, you know, when I start my urban fantasy, a lot of those kind of tropes are going to go in there. Cause really that's what urban fantasy is, is, mm -hmm. uh, your classic crime, mystery, suspense, thrillers, but just add a supernatural paranormal element to mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'll be, I'll be applying some stuff to that. Um, at some point I want to write some straight crime. Um, I want to write some, you know, straight up, uh, thriller, kind of stuff with no supernatural, no space, no mm -hmm. horror, no none of that. But getting to that point is going to be a little bit because right now the other genres pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> and that's just the reality. So. Sure. And, like, and Severed's not, they don't really do crime stuff, right? No, they, yeah. they don't. And it's one reason I'm, I signed with Bellbridge to do contemporary fantasy and to do urban fantasy is because Severed doesn't do urban fantasy. Okay. Uh, they don't do those kinds of ideas. They're, they're sci-fi, military sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, dystopian, um, horror, um, you know, zombie apocalypse, stuff like that. They know their genres and they know their markets. Sure. Um, and that's why I've had success is because they're a small press that understands what they do <laughs> and they put their energy into that. Um, they don't experiment too much okay. um, just because they, you know, if they don't know how to market it, then they're not going to take the idea. Sure. Um, they're not going to waste everybody's time. Um so, yeah, so sure. yeah, if I eventually do crime, I'll end up having to go with a, a publisher that knows crime. Sure. Um, and that's the smart way to go. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, check out, uh, check out Jake's uh, podcast, too, Writing in Suburbia. Great podcast if you're a writer or want to be a writer or um, hobbyist not apply, as he says. Um, but, uh, but you're all welcome, too. So, um, but, no, great stuff. Hey, Jake, this has been a real, um, real honor. You have gave us a ton of good stuff to think about. Um, keep on keeping on, man. I know you're going to keep writing great books. Check out all his works. There's so many of them. You'll have plenty of, uh, probably can't get through them in a lifetime, probably the next, <laughs> you know, but, uh, no, that, uh, what's the latest one called again? Uh, the, the one that's out now is Roke. That's right. It's, you know, R O A K, you know, rhymes with Oak tree Roke. Yeah. Um, and that's on Amazon right as we speak. Yeah. I, I, I saw that one. It's getting good, great reviews. I, 
actually read a little of the blurb. I'll probably get that one too. So, oh, cool, wonderful. <laughs> well, hey, um, uh, Jake Bible. Jake is it JakeBibleFiction.com? That's JakeBible.com. Okay, yep. perfect, perfect. Well, hey, Jake, thanks for the time, and uh, yeah, hope to talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks for having All me right. on. Bye bye.